Hey, Anthony, it's that time again. To make a horror movie not about zombies? Yeah, yeah w- wait, no. No, not at all. Then what? It's time to make the podcast. Oh, oh, oh yeah, that thing. Once again, we have reached that time of the week. Time to dive into the movies we love and the movies we wish we could forget. Pitting them against each other to receive praise uh, or hatred. Based on a scale of our choosing. So let's jump into it. This is the Double Feature Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of Double Feature Versus. Uh, my name's Anthony. I'm Brad. Yeah, and today we're gonna uh, we're gonna be going down the uh, horror route in uh, celebration of uh, Halloween. Uh, we got these two. We 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 kind of went back and forth on this. Uh, we were originally gonna do, I think, Midsummer versus Lighthouse or Hereditary and the Witch, but I figured everyone in horror circles talk compare Robert Eggers and Ari Aster time and time again. As far as like con- contemporary new horror directors, or they throw Jordan Peele in the mix. So I figured let's go. We we figured to go more the independent route and uh, compare um, Summer of '84 versus The Clove Hitch Killer. Which and these, this yeah. ended up being almost a perfect comparison between these two because it did it, the plots. So I didn't know anything about either of these movies when you pitched this one to me. So I went in okay. completely blind, and it, yeah, these two movies pretty much match each other perfectly for a versus episode. They do. We should call it um because it's very specific in its uh, subgenre of um serial killer horror. You know, not monster horror. Also, um, it's like the friendly serial killer kind of. There you go. The unsuspecting serial killer. I knew when I suggested these, I, I had seen Clove Hitch, but I hadn't seen Summer of 84. But I heard a lot of good things about it. So I said, OK, I, I didn't know much about what it was about, except that it had to do with a film set in the 80s with the serial killer. So I said, all right, let's just do that one. And, uh, yeah, I, I think this ended up being a good uh, pair here to do a double feature commentary on. Um, this one is kind of a doozy because they're both 2018. Uh, so which one do we do first, alphabetical or? Uh, let's start with summer of 84. Okay. Because I think that was the more surprising one, to me anyway, because uh, just to do a breakdown of this movie when it's first introduced is you're introduced to a group of four kids in Mm -hmm. the 80s that are kind of trying to figure out this uh mystery thing and as the movie was going on i was just thinking that this is just giving me stranger vibes kind of feelings minus the sci-fi stranger things yeah there you go this is stranger things meets disturbia which is really meets real window because disturbia is based off real window oh i didn't even think of disturbia but yeah that's that that's like dead on <laughs> yeah yeah minus the sci-fi of course yeah minus the but, uh, sci-fi it's very stranger things in the way that all the characters are portrayed uh except for the adults the adults are much dumber in this one uh Versus Stranger Things, where they kind of believe things are going on a little bit. I wouldn't say dumber. I would say they take the more realistic approach. Like, are you guys, are you kids insane? Like, stop watching movies. You know, I I wouldn't, 
I wouldn't say yeah, dumb. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, because um, and we'll get into it. But uh, summer of '84. So this is directed by a Canadian trio: uh, Francois Samard, Anouk Wissel, and Johan Carl uh, Wissel. Uh, French trio. I think um, a film they made before this. I know they submitted a short film to the ABCs of Death film, but they did a they did a a film before this called Turbo Kid, which kind of has the same kind of nostalgic as this movie. It's like a superhero comedy film that's gotten a lot of good reviews over the, over over time. But um, basically, Summer '84 deals with this young man who um, has suspicion that. Uh, you, there are a lot of missing kids. There are a lot of missing young boys his age um, that are showing up on milk cartons. And he believes the uh, police officer who lives next door to him that lives by himself may be the killer. So he enlists his friends to, uh, you know, you know, go uh, become detectives, look into this, you know. And I feel like the best thing about this film in the first half, I was Ill, I was trying to. I was a little on the fence of if I was going to like this or not, because it had great nostalgia. Even though I'm not from the 80s, I can recognize the 80s. You know what right. I mean? We've seen it before in many films. Breakfast Club, 16 Candles, anything John Hughes. Um, but I was like, okay, but I'm still looking for the thriller element here, if not horror. I'm still looking for the raising of the stakes. Yeah, the guy seems like a nice guy, seems innocent. So, I, of course, there may be a dark underbelly there, but I don't really know what's really pulling me in. So I feel like the first half of this film is really dedicated to building the characters of the young men. And um, it does a good job because uh, the uh, the uh, the characters, I like each and every one of them. You know, I mm-hmm. feel like they were the, the, the great, you know, uh, hormonal, you know, young kids that you would find in, in high school. Like like we all were like I felt like they were. They could have been my friends if I was younger. You know what yeah, I mean? I can Living say that, that one thing that really stood out in this one that I love when movies actually get it right is the dialogue between the kids all felt mm-hmm. real. Um, yeah. it, it None of it felt like it was pushed in for the story's sake. It's If you dropped, took these four kids from reality and dropped them in the situation, what would they be saying? And that's what the dialogue is dead on. Yeah. Yeah, that too. Um, yeah, so the first half was mainly built on character development, including the main character who is suspicious of his next door neighbor. So I was I was kind of it took me a while to kind of get on this wavelength. But after a while, I, I rocked with it. And uh, when it gets into a second half where, you know, stakes are raised and, you know, they come closer to uncovering the truth. That's when I was like, OK, this film has built itself up to um, a very solid, engaging movie. But I. I don't know. I, how did you feel about the first half? Because I felt like I was kind of like I wasn't being pulled in as much as I like to be. I, I will say the first half was a little bit boring. Like I was being pulled in a little bit more for the characters themselves and not so much mm-hmm. the plot of the movie. Because uh, right. the plot really does drag on because they kind of go, oh, you know, here's our neighbor. He's a policeman. He's a really cool guy. Oh, hey, who's that boy that he's with? Oh, hey, that boy is showing up on a milk carton. Okay, that might mean something. And then it just kind of slowly treads, like, the plot from there. It's not until they, like, try and investigate his house and find, uh, where was it, in the shed? They find uh, the boy's shirt or something? I, um... I, I think so. I'm, I'm not. I'm, I, I I don't really remember. I think it was his shirt, but I know there's like they say, oh, there's a locked door down there. I wonder what that door is, 
Yeah. And um, they follow him around and they see that, oh, he has a, uh, a storage unit, has a car in his storage unit. That's odd. And yeah, it's if you're looking at this for a coming of age film, it really gives you a lot of that. And it kind of almost treats its killer plot like it's in, like it's in the way of that. Yeah, it's almost secondary. You know? Yeah, which is not I don't think that's good for the movie. I feel like it needs to be a little bit more balanced. It made uh, it feel like a weird horror movie. Like I don't like this one is put as a horror movie and it does have its like jump scare moments and it does have some horror elements toward like the back end of the movie. Maybe the last like 30 minutes or so are a horror mm -hmm. movie. Everything before that though, it's more of like a coming of age kind of mystery kind of thing. Like, Ooh, I think my neighbor's a killer. And it keeps playing this weird wavelength of going, ah, maybe he is. And then you're just like, no, it's all explained. And it's because he comes off as a very like Flanders kind of neighbor. This would have been a great, this is a great novelistic story. Like this would have been a great young adult novel as a yeah. film. It kind of needs to speed it up a bit. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Like if, if, if it had this pace in a novel, I'd be, I'd be perfectly fine with it. But as a movie, it kind of needs to be a bit more. It need to it need it needed to step its pace up a little bit. Yeah, there there were definitely a lot of parts that dragged on a bit. Uh, that they definitely need to get to the whole it, him being a killer kind of thing a lot faster. Because uh, yeah. they just keep playing with the idea for too long behind. Oh, is he the killer or not? And then even when there's like the defined evidence, I think it's the. Uh, making the phone call to himself to try and prove that, uh, you know, his nephew was fine and that's who the little boy was and everything like that. Not even that. It's when they go and they go down there and they open and they open a locked door. Like that's the defining evidence that just, that just put them, that just put the main character more on the, uh, road of, okay, he's the guy. Yeah. You know, um, the, the phone call thing. Uh, but I agree. It does. It does take its time. Uh, I think the film kind of depended. I feel like this film depends on its nostalgic to keep people engaged before they turn the volume up. Before they turn the volume up in the second half, and it's like, nah, that wasn't enough to that, that for me at least. I don't think it's enough to keep me engaged. Right. Yeah, uh, and I will say that this one. I don't know if it was because the director had like a jump scare fetish or what it was, but he loved playing with those silent scenes and then loud noise out of nowhere. And yeah, it got annoying after a while. I don't know if you had the same sense where I was Dude. just like, oh, the music stopped. I bet there's a jump. Oh, yep. There's a jump scare. There was a moment where I think they were in his house, the, the, um, the cop's house. And there was a loud phone ring. And I was like, Man, that phone is really loud. Oh yeah, like, and that. Then, and then, and then and the then hand was... reach around for the light switch. I I immediately so the phone didn't get me, but the hand did. Like it actually mm. made me jump, and I was just like, "Oh fuck you, movie!" I because <laughs> I was like, "How does the phone ring that loud in the first ring?" And then with right. every other ring, it was just normal. Right. I was like, "Yeah, like no no phone rings that loud, man." Um, but yeah, that's, when you watch so many horror films, do you kind of get used to it? Uh, you get a vibe for when it's coming and everything. But with this one, it was so formulaic because like, you could tell it was coming because all of a sudden all the music would stop. There would be no other noise. And then all of a sudden loud thud or loud something or another. 
and you're just like, ah, okay, it's, I get it. You're, you're trying to be a horror movie by doing things that aren't actually scary. It's just noises. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely, it was definitely formulaic in some ways. Um, yeah, I don't know. I know how I feel about this movie. I feel like it's well constructed in what it wants to do. It just leans too much on the nostalgic instead of leaning into its uh into into its most captivating part of its story. Like right. yeah, this main kid, Davy, Davy seems like a cool kid and all, but I, I'm not really concerned with him and the woman that used to babysit him that he likes that's going off to college and I, I like the four kids. I think they're fine. But I felt like you had a lot of side plots that took center stage instead of the most captivating part of the story. Like Rich Summer, who played Wayne Mackey, the guy who's um, sus- sus- the guy who they think is a killer, he did great. Like mm-hmm. I remember seeing him in Mad Men. He's he's a great character actor, but like I feel like I should have seen more of him. You know what I mean? You feel like yeah. I feel like he's in the background, and with him, the serial killer plot is in the background too. Yeah, very much. It's, uh, yeah, because as we said, it just it's slow. But those last thirty minutes, those really like fly by. Yeah, uh, it's great. It, it it's 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 great building. The last thirty minutes build up the tension so well. You wonder where this built up tension was throughout the rest of the film. Yeah, yeah, because there's the hidden horror movie in this movie is in the last thirty minutes. Uh, everything prior to that, forget about it. It's it's really the last thirty minutes. It's as soon as they like go investigate his house that mm-hmm. one final time, and it's from then until the end of the movie that it's just spot on horror. Where you're just like I, I can't tell where this is going anymore, because I remember being like, oh man, the movie is over, and then I looked at the time and it was like there's still about eighteen minutes left. And I was like, oh, See? oh okay. <laughs> That's when you know a movie does its magic tricks well. Because in the back of my mind, I'm like, it can't be over. Like, it, it can't be over here. Like, something needs to happen. But mm-hmm. the way the way it fades out for for and it was like it was like blackness for a good three seconds. I was like, is it over? But then my uh, rationality came back when it came up and he he was sleeping. The serial killer broke in. And dude, that music score in that moment. Oh yeah, like the, fabulous. The, the mu- yes, the music fits in this movie. Yeah, yeah they, they definitely got that right. Sound design on the parts where there's actually sound, mm-hmm. <laughs> fantastic. Yeah, Lay Le, Matos is the uh, group that made the music for this uh, film, and the soundtrack is is perfection, eighties inspired perfection. Oh yeah, but um, yeah, man, I love that that just that final battle, man, where it's him, uh, one of his boys. I forgot which friend. Uh, it was Woody, wasn't it? I think so. Um, I, th- I think it was Woody. Yeah, they uh, uh, Mackie takes them, and um, you know, in the end, Woody gets killed, and you know, Mackie. And I feel like this is like the most frightening thing of all. And I feel like this was smartly written, where he's like, you know, I'm gonna spare you, but not in the not in the stereotypical. Oh, I'm gonna spare you, j- just just to mess with you. I'm gonna spare you because I want you to live in fear and paranoia of the time when I come back for you. Yeah, and I'll be like, back for you eventually. Right. It go live now. I feel like man, that's terrifying. Oh yeah. Like that that's a terrifying way to end that whole story. And I really like the end montage cuz when the film started, I didn't much care for the character's inner dialogue about like 
like serial killer could live right next door to you. I'm like, okay, whatever. It's very on the nose. Right. But in the end, and they come back to that, it fits because we've seen everything. I feel like it should have it should have never been in the beginning. Just have it be it's okay if it's on the nose at the end because we saw what the nose is. You get what I mean? Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like it's not like as that, on the nose when it's after something has happened kind of thing. It, it's right. very on the nose when it's like, oh, it's going to it's like the Chekhov's gun kind of thing. You know, there, there's a difference between being on the nose and setting up Chekhov's gun. Yeah. And again, like in a in a young adult novel, something like that works. But in a movie, you kind of need to h- hide your hand a little bit or you need to like show you kind of need to show more of what's the mo- the more captivating part of your story. Right. Um, yeah, man. A- acting in here was uh, pretty solid. I I, I really like the kids. Uh, I really like the young actors. Um, I feel like Eats was an interesting character. You saw a glimpse of his home life with his um his parents and his brother. They don't show they show just enough to get you an idea why he is the way he is. Eats uh, was the one that was kind of like the rebel. Oh, okay, the one that was making your mom jokes the entire time. Right, right. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. You saw enough of his character to get a glimpse of what he is and why he's so different and so like rebellious. And um yeah, I feel like I, I like little character nuggets like that. Uh and in the end, in the end montage, him and his other friends, they don't even like look at each other because um you know oh he had to tear down his treehouse too which was sad oh yeah because it had the two of them tearing down the treehouse right and they wasn't even like looking at uh davy you could tell their friendship completely changed after woody's death and the whole thing yeah their group dynamic got split apart they didn't even believe him anymore they said man i don't believe this anymore like you're you're crazy but well, Turns if I recall he, correctly, they were they in the house when they fa- found the bodies and everything like that, or no, they were gone. So yeah, because they had already ditched out. They thought that it was all you know. So yeah, so Eats was on the lookout. The man, my man with the glasses, was keeping an eye on him at the fair, and he was like, "Dude, all, all the dirt and stuff in his backyard is for this new recreational thing they're doing. Like you're crazy." Yeah. So him and East just dipped out. So yeah, that's what happened. Uh, yeah, man. Overall, I um, I I I, you know, I was entertained. I give it um, it's a solid three. It's a solid three. Yeah, I I gotta put a three sounds fair. Um, it, if it wasn't for the fact that they just take so long to get to the plot, if that last thirty minutes was the entire hour and a half, because this was about an hour and a half movie, right? Yeah. Yeah. So if this was the full hour and a half, then this would have been spot on. I think the film should have taken its cue from uh, Disturbia. For sure. I had to catch a fly. <laughs> yeah, like, um, I think it should have taken its cue from Disturbia because um, Disturbia had that balance so well. And it this did is because like, it put yeah. the tension throughout the entire movie. Mm hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't man. even think of Disturbia as a comparison for this until you mentioned it. But yeah, that is like spot on. Yeah, that and uh, Alfred Hitchcock's Real Window, too, which, you know, inspired them all. But, uh, all right, moving on. Uh, we are moving on to The Clove Hitch Killer, and I'll let you uh, take the steering wheel on this one. So this one follows a 
I can't remember what his name was, but uh, a boy and his father who is a troop leader for like a Boy Scouts like kind of uh, scout group. Yeah, and Tyler. Tyler. Tyler and his father, Don. Yep. So Tyler is a part of the scouts. His father, Don, and everything uh, is a scout leader, and they're very big churchgoers. So uh, one night, what really kicks us all off is, well, in their town, there's been a serial murderer known as the Clove Hitch Killer, who mm-hmm. killed 10 people, confirmed, and disappeared like about 10 years ago or something prior to the movie taking place. Mm. So after a bunch of events, like finding uh, pictures of bondage in uh, his father's car uh, that he gets blamed for and Mm. finding like a box of, you know, magazines and stuff like that, that like tie his father to the killer. He starts to believe that his father is the kill, the clove hitch killer. Mm hmm. And from there, it just takes this downward spiral as he loses all his friends because they start to think that he's a pervert and they're very, like, devout Christian, like, faith for church. So this stuff is, like, a no-go for them in all. So he's losing all his friends except for this one girl who isn't faithful at all. And uh, she, Cassie, I believe her name was, right? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Wait, I think it's, uh, let me confirm. Uh, Yep, Cassie. Cassie, Cassie yep. Uh, she is a huge, uh, she's really invested in the Clove Hitch killer, which we find out later in the movie is because her mother was one of those killed by the Clove Hitch killer. So she has a great attachment to finding out who it actually is. So mm-hmm. Tyler teams up with her to try and figure out if it's dad is actually the killer and it just spirals out from there. And it, I think this one, the pacing was on point. It was, man. I feel like this film did what Summer of 84 got should wrong. have done. Well, got wrong and should have done. Yeah. Like, like it, it's it's coming of age, but it's also, you know, uh, a thriller. It's also a horror thriller movie, but it balances both so well. Because you're you're seeing this kid as he's growing up. You know, Charlie Plummer, you know, I, I'm, we're going to talk about Dylan McDermott in a minute, but Charlie Plummer nailed the young kid's role so good in this film because mm-hmm. he... He feels like a kid that is growing up. He is going through love and going through confusion. And as he's trying to wonder who his dad is, you know, the identity of who his father is behind closed doors, this this perfect upstanding Boy Scout gentleman. Um, yeah, man, this it, it balances the world of coming of age and, you know, serial killer horror so well. Yeah. And this one really wasn't a horror. This one was more thriller. It was thriller. Yeah. Yeah. But I think they played with that aspect really well, especially when it comes to him like discovering everything because he's kind of sneaking around the house, uh, sneaking into the shed, into the, you know, I guess it's, what is it? It's not a basement. It's the space between the house and the ground uh, where it's got uh, like a secret room kind of in there. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know what else to call it. I the hidden compartment uh i don't know yeah it's like a hidden kind of area under the house that you can only get through via the crawl space there's no kind of stairs or anything leading to it from the house so from there he kind of keeps finding these clues that say that his father is the killer and everything from 10 years Mm -hmm. ago and he just stopped 
and eventually his father does like confront him about it and says that it was his uncle who was in a vegetative state. Like he couldn't say anything. He couldn't move. He was kind of just trapped in a wheelchair due to a traffic accident. I think they said, Mm -hmm. and his father said it was actually a suicide attempt after he felt bad for doing all the murders and he kept the evidence around to give to the families after he eventually died. Right. Crawl space is what you would call it. It's a crawl space. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so taking all that in, uh, again, this balances the stakes so well. Cause like I said, in comparison to the previous film, like the final, I want to say 30 minutes of this film, like goes by it ratchets the tension up really well oh yeah when you come to the when you come to the realization of you know like um you know what his father really is and just that uh that that uh climactic uh battle between um it's it's him his father and cassie right yeah she's there as well okay yeah man if you if you couple that with um Dude, just that final like montage of the funeral and you know him taking his dad like that that ending like that ending really hits hard like you you don't feel sorry for the father but you feel sorry that the kid has to go through this right and this one especially hits home because it's not like the neighbors the serial killer it's his own father so yeah. he's come trying to like he's in denial about it while also wanting to, you know, find the truth because he wants to find the truth is nothing. It's something else. So that's mm-hmm. why he keeps pushing to like find the truth. And when everything keeps pushing to show that it's actually his father, it, it you can just see his like drain of like expression and emotion through the movie as you know, he, he stops, he starts detaching from reality a little bit. Mm-hmm. And taking whatever he can to make what he believes as his father as being innocent as truth. No matter how absurd it is or how insane it is, that's what he wants to be true. And that's what he's trying to find any evidence to point to being true. Yeah, man. Um, dude, Dylan McDermott's performance in this film as his father. Like, I, the only thing I really know about Dylan McDermott before watching this is like American Horror Story season one. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that. That was like my main um, familiarity with him, and I kept confusing him with the dude from Will and Grace. I think his name is Eric McCormick, right? Because they, uh, they look alike. Yeah, yeah, man. His performance was great in this movie, man. Like the way he could like keep that whole great upstanding Boy Scout father uh, veneer on, but it could also turn dark when he turns when we when we finally realize he is the bad guy. Like, he he gave a great performance. Well, the scene in the uh, bedroom after Mm -hmm. he, like, breaks into the one lady's house and everything like that, uh, his performance there is beautiful when he's, like, telling his son, look, it it doesn't have to end this way. This is is all just a misunderstanding. Think about your mother and sister, you know. Think of how this is going to affect them. And it's great manipulation. And he plays it off perfectly. To the point that you're just like, wow, this is being in Tyler's position. This is rough. And just the expression on Tyler's face, the entire like that scene kills this movie easily as one of the best scenes in the entire thing. 
Uh, the performances were spot on, the expressions and everything, like every motion and the camera angles that it just, it is a perfect scene to show just how troubled both of these people are and how neither of them want to be in this situation at all. Like they're well, both shocked about what's going on. Neither of them were prepared for what's happening. I, I think his father wanted to be in that situation. He just didn't want his son to be there. Right. Yeah. His father obviously wanted to be there, but he, yeah, he's shocked that his son is there. He didn't want this to be how it went. And same for his son. His son didn't want this to be how it went. So they were both completely caught off guard. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I got what you're saying. I get what you're saying. It, it is a well done scene. I would say I love the twist that you brought up earlier when it was revealed that the reason Kate Cassie is so interested is because um, you said her mother was a victim. Yeah. Think, her mother her was mom, a right? victim. Yeah. Mentioning that, like I said, the film, even though it has, it has a meaningful slow pace because it's not, it's a slow pace that's engaging. Like summer of 84 wasn't engaging to me. This film is engaging to me. Um, even with his pace and even like dialing down on the jump scares, which some of 84 kind of leaned on, it still keeps you in, interested with, you know, the character development and the twist and turns that come within that development. Like this is just a smartly written. This is just a finely written film, dude. Oh, yeah. It, and um, you know who he's based off of, right? Um, uh, Dylan McDermott's character. No, I, I had figured that it was based off of some real serial killer, but I didn't know who it was. Um, the BTK killer, uh, Dennis, uh, Raider. So they call him the BTK strangler. So, cause he would bind, torture and kill. Okay. And, um, he got arrested in 2005, uh, which was about a long time ago after he did his murder. So about like almost 10, 10 plus years after he had did his more, after he did his last murder. Okay. So, um, yeah. That's who he's based off of. One thing I also really liked about this is uh, when it came to, like, bringing his father in and stuff, I remember because Cassie was starting to dial 911 and he stopped her. And I remember when I was watching, I was like, why are you stopping her? Are you still, like, siding with your father? And then it cut to um, the missing person posters and then to his family. And I was like, oh, he was... It, this wasn't about getting revenge on his father and stuff like that. That was, was more on protecting his family because it, this would have hurt their family, especially with the church and everything like that. If it came out that his father was the killer, you know, I didn't even think of it that way. You, but you, you know what? You're right. Cause it was a conservative kind of community. You're right. I, I looked at it as I need to end this now. I, I can't just put my dad in jail I, I need to end this, but yours makes way more sense. Yeah. Cause I was trying to figure it out and then it cut to it like perfectly to the family of, uh, it was his sister and his mother, you know, eating breakfast and stuff like that. And it was like, there it is. There's the perfect cut to the reason why. And it just fit. It slid so perfectly in there to make sense. But wouldn't that be looked down upon in that kind of like uptight community? Like, oh, he committed suicide. That's the sad family. Like, well, I guess you, well, I guess rather that than, you know, dad right. was a killer. Okay. <laughs> I guess rather that than the other thing. Yeah. He, he was, uh, you know, he, he 
you know, was a, uh, he would torture and then kill people versus he committed suicide. One of those is a lot more lenient. <laughs> right, right, right. What, one of those is like, all right, we'll, we'll give him that identity than the other one. Yeah, one of them leads people to go, oh my God, what kind of life was he living that, you know, he, you know, ended up killing himself? What was he troubled by versus, oh, he was just a mass murdering, you know, piece of shit. Right, right. Um, yeah, I guess that's a, well, I guess that wraps it up because this is kind of a, a shorter film, isn't it? It's like, a, this one's only like an hour and like 30 minutes, maybe. Actually, it's 110. Uh, summer of 84 is 106. Oh, so they're about the same yeah. same length. Um, I get this one a four, man. Uh, this one's a four five for me. Easy. Okay. 4.5? Yeah, 4.5. I really like this one. I think it, the story flowed. The characters were great. The acting was on point. Uh, the themes and everything throughout it were good. The whole kind of trying to find himself as a person while trying to find out who his dad is as a person at the same time worked well. And just the twists and turns, like him not being on the bus at the end, mm-hmm. that one I never expected. And especially when it started showing the scenes of what was really going on with him in the background and everything, uh, mm-hmm. the scenes with showing how messed up his dad was with trying to like dress as a woman to you know yeah. get his weird. fetish off yeah it, it just it's very it does those scenes very well because it makes you feel uncomfortable about them and that does that's where it comes in so well okay yeah i'm not a 4.5 yet i guess i gotta watch this i guess i gotta give it some more repeated viewings to decide on that but all right so i guess if it comes down to it just automatic Clove hitch over summer of 84. Yeah. Uh, it, they're neither of them are absolutely perfect, but clove hitch definitely is an easier watch throughout the entire movie versus summer of 84, which is a little dense in spots. And then the last like 30 minutes, you're just hooked to it. Just going, Oh, this is great. Clove hitch has a better flow, a much better flow. Yeah. Uh well how did you um is this a satisfying Halloween for you I didn't go I didn't go too hard on you I didn't lean on you know uh you know extreme horror because I <laughs> I don't that's not even my thing anymore man I feel like when I get older the stuff I would just watch for sport I don't even watch anymore because I'm like dude why am I watching this Yeah when it comes you know? to horror movie it just doesn't do it for me you know the whole mm-hmm. horror genre uh very few horror movies. Uh, I really enjoy because most of the time I, I'm not one to be for the jump scares and stuff. I don't care for them at all. You know, well, that's not, that's not the only type of horror out there. Oh yeah. Well, same for Um, like the very gory kind of stuff like saw and everything. I don't like that. So it, it just kind of bundles it down to, you know, you have like Halloween. I've seen the first Halloween movie. I enjoyed it. It's not a bad movie. Um, the first, uh, child's play movie, it's good. I enjoyed it. Oh, dude, those, uh, my two favorite horror villains, man, Freddie and Chucky, just because they're funny. Yeah. Um, did I tell you I saw Halloween Kills? Yeah, I think we talked about that last time. We did? Okay, okay. Yeah, not the best Halloween film, nor the worst. 
it just it, it just was what it was. But uh, I would say I would take you as more of a psychological horror fan because you said you liked the lighthouse, right? Oh, yeah. I, I can really get behind a psychological horror movie. Okay. Uh, I just really don't like the kind of gruesome, you know, all it is is somebody being chased into a building and then they're tacked to pieces. Like Ch- Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I-, I can appreciate that movie, but I just don't care for it. You appreciate it from a distance. Like, oh, okay, I see how this started stuff, but yeah. I'm not watching I- I- this I see where so- people enjoy this movie, but it's not my thing. So how I feel about Nightmare Before Christmas yeah, <laughs> I, I see why people like this movie, but I'm not watching it again. Right. Um. All right, man. Uh, w- listen, I would I before we end this episode, I would implore you to please watch Midsummer. Oh, I've seen Midsummer. Oh, you did. We never talked about it. Did you like it? Um, that one that that was a ride. <laughs> that movie. That's a great movie, man. Um. It, it's it's an interesting movie, that's for sure. It's <laughs> yeah, that's I think that's about all I can say on that one. It's a very interesting movie, uh, because the entire thing is just it's one wild ride. It, it's a wild ride because they even kind of laid out for you what's going to happen throughout the movie a little bit, and it just continually ramps up, and you're like, oh yeah, this is going to be the point where it stops with. Uh, you know, the, where was it? Uh, the point where they're having sex and then there's like the group of women like moaning around them. And you're like, right, okay, right. this is about as weird as this is going to get. And no, then the it craziness. just goes, no, no, that's that's the very bottom of the totem pole. It, it the keeps craziness cramping doesn't up. stop with that movie. And no. that's why I love it so much because it keeps amping it up and up. Um, yeah, I love Midsummer, man. But uh, I think that wraps this one up on these two. For sure. Uh, All right, y'all. Like, share, and subscribe. Uh, We'll see you on the next one, and happy Halloween.